0: Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Well, I will tell you this, uh, this is a good, very sad thing. Because <laughs> we love Miss Kim. She's done an amazing job with your kids, uh, and uh, she is irreplaceable. Um, so just pray for the board and the staff as we try to figure out our next steps here. This is a big thing for us, so we do appreciate your prayers and that really mean it. Okay, Um, before we jump into our service today, uh, just want to say thanks for braving the pollen to be with us today. Uh, It's a nightmare out there, I know. Uh, Anybody here suffer with allergies? Any allergy people? You're you're my people. You are my people. Actually, if you live in South Carolina long enough, you will be our people. Um, This is a tough state, uh, and so in between services, I'm doing everything I can to uh, clear my sinuses so I can make it through. And I'm just praying I don't have a sneezing fit in the middle of a service today. All right. So um, for the next four weeks, we've decided to tackle uh, a topic, um, and that is the topic of identity by way of how God has called us to be. So today we're going to talk about biblical masculinity. Next week is biblical femininity, and then we'll talk about the biblical family and then the biblical church. And uh, if somebody say, "Well, why are you doing a series like this in the midst of what we do?" Because normally what we do is we take a book of the Bible and we go chapter and verse through the whole thing. Uh, And I do believe the Bible is always relevant to what's going on today and addresses everything. But There are times where, as a part of our values, uh, and one of our values, our distinctives, is that we're going to be culturally relevant. There's a time when we pause and just say, there's something going on in culture that God speaks to. So let's just stop and address that for a moment before we jump back into some of our normal uh, flow of how we teach. And so uh, we're going to do that in regard to what we're gonna talk about with this series. Uh, But today, the series is Biblical Masculinity. And if you're a woman sitting here today, you're like, oh man, it came on the wrong week. Um, Like, here's the great thing about this. Like, you need to be uh, encouraged in how the men around you should be. And so this will help inform you on what you should expect from the men in your life or what you should be coaching and and, um, encouraging in the men who surround you. Uh, But let me just give this, um, let me give this a bit of a caution before we go forward today. Uh, I want to give you a caution by way of comparison. So today, when I'm speaking, uh, if I say something like, you know, men are called to be strong, men are called to be providers, there could be this temptation in your own mind to think, well, women are called to be strong, women are called, like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. When I say what a man is, it doesn't mean what a woman isn't. Does that make sense? So today, just let me talk to men today, and then we'll talk about you next week. So, you know, it's gonna be great. Um, It'll be fun. So We're gonna go through this. Now, in preparation for this message, I did uh, meet with uh, Dr. Seth Scott. Uh, He's the Associate Professor of Clinical Counseling at Columbia International University, and he specializes in gender issues. And so if you're wrestling with some gender and identity issues, or somebody in your family is, and you'd like a good Christian counselor to talk to, Definitely recommend Dr. Seth Scott. He sat down with us recently. He sat down with Pastor John recently and uh, did a podcast with us. And so if you go to YouTube and you look at Sand Hills Community Church, you'll find a podcast with Dr. Seth Scott. And the title of that podcast is The Church and Gender Dysphoria. Uh, we'll talk more about that before even the, the day is out here today. Um, but I do wanna acknowledge if anybody here today is wrestling with uh, issues of gender in your own life, uh, trying to figure some things out, uh, I think this message will be helpful to you. And I just want to pause and say thank you for giving me uh, a listen today as I try to articulate what I think uh, the Lord has for us in this. I hope to do so uh, gracefully and encouragingly. Um, Okay, so as we move forward, two fundamental questions we need to be able to answer as we move forward today. The first is, is God good? The second is, can we trust him? Is God good and can we trust him? Because if you can answer both of those in the affirmative, I literally believe God is good, I literally believe that I can trust him, then I think we can move forward. If you are uncertain in, in either of those, then we, I, don't, I don't know how much further we can go together as we use the scripture as our source. And so, uh, But my hope is, if we can at least acknowledge that the one who made us loves us dearly and has good intention, and that we can trust him to speak to us according to our design, I think that will be helpful. Uh, because I do know there, there are people in the world today, and there's even people in the church today, asking questions like, did God really say, and did God really mean? So did God really say, like in this instance, there are only two genders? Did he really mean there are only two? Do, does God not allow for variance or anything? And they're like, if, if we're wrestling with that, um... That I think that's probably a normal wrestling for some, not for all, for some. Uh, but let me tell you too, culture is wrestling. If you go look right now on the internet to find out about genders, just to search about how many genders are there, uh, one article you'll come across will be uh, the seven main genders that are out there, and they'll talk about the seven main genders. Then you'll pull up another that was actually in a medical journal, talking about the 72 genders that are currently out there today. Uh, I don't even know how many are being identified now. There, there could be more than that. But all it says is this, is that culture is still trying to figure this out. So there's a bit of a journey going on in culture today. So I think for us, as people are trying to, to figure out what God has created, what's he intended, let us then go to his word and find out how he's instructed us. And for that, we'd go back to our creation in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, says this, Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. All right, so we're going to pause right there for a second. Let's go back, stay on that slide for a second. All right, so here's the idea. The reason the church will only hold on to two expressions of gender is, is because this is how God has revealed himself to us in that, that when he created male and female, those two together, not one independently, those two together reflect the image of God. So when we begin to introduce other genders or, 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 or different ways to view this, we end up distorting the image that God has revealed of himself and man and woman. And so the reason we only entertain this is because it is our desire to preserve the image of God as it has been revealed to us. Now, as we go forward, I think there, this, some of that idea will make sense, but let's go ahead and finish that verse. So the verse goes on then to talk about like our creation mandate. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we learned that both man and woman, were caretakers of the earth. We're all required to be caretakers, which means we all work, we cultivate, we you know, plan, we design, we do all sorts of stuff like that. And then we're also supposed to reproduce, which many of you in this church have done faithfully. So thank you. Thank you for your great fruitful production and obeying God. All right. All um, right. Now, I I will say too, as I go forward, I do know this, that your, I I would say, your body was designed to live out your gender. So we are biologically different, we know we are, uh, but neither gender has more or less value, we are of equal value in the eyes of the Lord, but we know we're not the same. And that's okay, because God designed it that way. Uh, There are some, though, who wrestle with this, and if we had a longer conversation, I get, there's a lot of stuff here, but... If we had a longer conversation, some may say, well, I still wrestle with this. I'm wrestling with, with how God's created us to be. I don't know if this is really what he intended. I don't know if this is what he meant. Let me go back to the Garden of Eden for just a second. When you get to the Garden of Eden, you have the creation of man and woman, and you have this prohibition given to them by God of this tree they can't eat from. And then God kind of vanishes from the scene, and another character comes in, and that is the devil in the form of the serpent. And he comes along, and he catches Eve, and uh, he says to Eve, hey, Eve some nice fruit over here, you gotta, you gotta take a bite, and she's like, oh no, we can't, we can't eat from that tree, because God said, if we do, we'll die, and then the serpent's response is, did God really say, did God really mean, and so when we begin to question God, we just go down a very destructive path, and so let's try not to do that with this, um, because the creation of new gender categories is actually a relatively new phenomenon, which really should give us pause just in itself. And, and some might be asking, well, how, how do you even create new genders? I mean, of course you just have the, you know, the two, as, as God has revealed. Let me say this. I think we're asking the wrong question in that. So if somebody's wrestling with, like, how can you? Go? No, I think we're asking the wrong question because I don't think this is actually about gender at all. I think what it's really about is identity. And that is a very common struggle that we've all had. And I I just go back to even my own teenage years. Think about your teenage years. If you're beyond those, if you're in them, God bless you. Um, The teenage years are weird because there is just a flood of hormones. You're confused about life, your purpose, who you're supposed to be. And if you'll add to that a little bit of trauma, it really is gonna mess you up. And you could very easily enter into what many are wrestling with today. Many young people are wrestling with what they call gender dysphoria. That is, I don't feel like I fit the stereotypical uh, male and female role. And so now I'm beginning to question, perhaps then I am supposed to be a different gender. Maybe I am something other. But I'm not sure, again, this is about gender. I think what we're wrestling with is not a gender dysphoria. I think what we're wrestling with in our society today is an identity dysphoria. I just don't know who I'm supposed to be. And if somebody says, well, how do you think we got here? Actually, I think how we got here is very logical. Um, If you're sitting there going, I don't get it. Like, I know, I think it is actually very logical. Because when God placed his image into man and woman, he didn't do it evenly or uniformly. And that's what causes the confusion. That is, not every man is like every man. And not every woman is like every woman. And so when we look at that, we say, well, is there something else? So what happens when we don't fit into one of these Categories like we would see in scripture. What if you're a girl, but you're not into makeup and dresses, but you love sports or you love working on cars? Uh, My own daughter-in-law is a mechanic at a Lexus dealer. Uh, She does not fit the stereotype, right? Uh, But what if, though, you're a guy and you love theater and you love dancing and uh, you love interior design? Can you still love all those things, have those interests, and yet be a godly, masculine man? Absolutely you can, absolutely you can. And so here's the thing. Culture, because it struggles with this, wants to create new categories, which makes sense. You don't seem to fit a category. Let's make a new category, that's probably what you are. But here's what I would say. This shouldn't be a conversation about categories, it should be a conversation about nuance. This isn't about categories, it's about nuance. And with nuance, it's, it's more like this. It's not a question of whether or whether or not you are a man or a woman or you're something else. The question is, what kind of man has God created you to be? What kind of woman has God created you to be? And if you step into the idea of nuance, that you can be very much the, the, the godly man or woman that God's made you to be, but you don't look like everybody else, because you're not wired like everybody else, and he doesn't have the same plans for you as he has for everybody else, well, then it makes sense to sit back and go, well, I'm not like everybody else. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're not a man. It doesn't mean you're not a woman. It just means you're a particular kind of man or woman that God has created you to be. You have a category he's created for you, but it still exists within the genders he's articulated. In his book, Understanding Sexual Identity, which I commend to you if you're looking for something to read and you feel like this is a category you want to learn more about, Understanding Sexual Identity by Mark Yarhouse, he says this, not fitting rigid stereotypes doesn't mean anything other than you don't fit rigid stereotypes. It is profound in its simplicity. (laughs) Not fitting rigid stereotypes doesn't mean anything other than you don't fit rigid stereotypes. That is, if you're not a stereotypical man or woman, that's all it means. You're just not stereotypical. You don't fit the, the norms that people would think about when it comes to that, but you're still very much a man or a woman just doing it your own way. And I would say this, culture doesn't help us because it doesn't understand nuance. And this culture that is supposed to be more accepting than any other generation has very stereotypical beliefs even in regard to this. That is, you're not a traditional man or woman as history has understood it. Therefore, you must be something different. And so they create a whole new box that they want to put you in. And they're rigid with this. They are very rigid with this. Like, oh, then you're not, that you must be this. Well, why, why does it have to be that? What if, what if we're actually just missing something in our understanding of how God has wired us to be? Not that he was wrong, because think about the complexity of biblical characters. And you could do a study of biblical characters, men and women, and come to some great conclusions about who God's designed us to be and not designed us to be. But think about King David. Okay, King David was, was kind of weird. King David was a fierce warrior. I mean, you read scripture, you can't come to the conclusion any other way. He did some crazy stuff. I mean, he was a beast on the battlefield. And yet, was also a deeply emotional poet and a musician. And his best friend was a guy that he loved dearly, and yet they were both heterosexual. Like I would, I would argue, I don't think culture has a category for that. They would try to put him in a particular box when actually, he would just be a normal godly man living out life as God has wired him to live out life. Not you and me. Uh, let's pause for just a second Uh, so back in 2016 my dad bought a brand new Corvette Uh, and uh, I can't remember exactly uh, which one it was might have been a Z51 3LT that was black and gray (laughs) I miss that car that was a wonderful car I could talk a long time about that but let's just pause there Um, So my dad got this car and he was, uh, he's still a mature man, but he was mature at that time too. So he's in his uh, like late sixties when he got it. And so when he gets this car, he's driving it for about a week or so. And I call him up and I'm like, Hey dad, how are you loving the Corvette? And he's like, Oh, here's the thing. I do not understand this car. He's like, I got buttons in here. I don't know what they do. I'll, I'll be driving it. It's doing things I don't understand. Like, this is not like any other car out there. Right? All right. So here's the thing. If we go in the parking lot right now, and let's, let's just go, and we're looking at cars, and you drove a, uh, a Honda Pilot here. So we've got your Honda Pilot, and you've got your Toyota Highlander sitting next to it. So you've got those two things sitting. And then you get a brand new, and I'm talking one of the brand new Corvettes that's out there today. And you're parking next to it. And you look at there, and you'd be like, car, car, not a car, special, <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> lovely. you know, But it's something different, right? But then if somebody came to you and was like, whoa, wait, 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 isn't it still a car? You're like, okay, yeah, it's still a car, but it's a special kind of car, right? All right, so here's the thing about gender. We look at this and we go, man, woman. I don't know if that's a man or a woman. Like, no, no, no. Man, woman, and either a man or a woman, but maybe a special kind of man or woman. We're not leaving the category, just doing it a way that this one does it. So, what my dad did, and this was great. So, <laughs> my dad took his car to the Chevrolet dealer, and he's like, I don't understand my car. Can you tell me what all this stuff does? And they're like, we've got a, a book in your glove compartment, a bo- I'm talking a book, right? And so my dad's like, yeah, I'm not reading that thing. He's like, do you have anything else? And, uh, and they're like, oh, well, we have a school you can go to to learn, you, you actually, you fly out, I think it was in Las Vegas, you stay there for three days and they take you on a track and you drive this car and they'll tell you everything about your car, you'll go through classroom sessions, you'll eat together with teams, you like all this crazy stuff and he did it. And let me say this, you should all do it before you retire. Everybody <laughs> should do that. I'm, I need to do it you know it's just like no it's just it's really cool and so but you think, here's the thing it's not whether or not you're a car it's how do you understand your special kind of car because you have a book and it's a thick book and it's really hard to understand but sometimes it's better to sit with a group of people and learn and then we go out and we try it out together on the track of life right it's not that you're not a car you're just a different kind of car And that's okay, that God allows for nuance in the way that he's crafted all of us to be. So then, with that in mind, let's talk about this. Let's talk about biblical manhood, biblical manhood. Now, because of the garden, because of the garden, what happened in the garden, we understand this, that all of us are broken. Every man, every woman, we are all broken. None of us starts life or starts living out life as we are supposed to be. So there's a broken version of masculinity. This broken version of masculinity is all around us. And and it works out like this. This this is men who will belittle those that they're supposed to care for. They look down on women or they hypersexualize women. Uh, They don't care for children, perhaps. They're out of control sexually. Uh, They're pridefully competitive. They're consumed with displays of strength uh, from the car that they drive to the gun they own to the money they make. Um, You may have heard a name out there. a guy named Andrew Tate. He's uh, popular these days. He is the worst of it all. He's the worst example of masculinity uh, out there. But but there's this thing that men are drawn to that because there is a version of masculinity hidden within that. It's just that it's been corrupted. And what we need to do is redeem it, not get rid of it all, redeem it. And so let's go back then to a redeemed version of who we're supposed to be. And so for me, uh, I would say this, that, the, the bottom line for us is that God's design for biblical masculinity is for a man to sacrificially lead, provide, and protect. To lead, provide, and protect. Now, if you look at that and you say, well, there's gotta be more to it. Okay, yeah, I would argue that there could be a lot more that we could talk about, but we only have a few minutes this morning, so as we're gonna narrow it down to. But it's certainly not less than that, all right? So it could be more than that. It is certainly not less than that. Um, and, and we would argue this as well. That if you're gonna do this rightly, if you're gonna do this well, you have to be in submission to Christ because if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you will never be who God has created you to be. You will always be some broken version trying to find significance in something else. So we'll stay with those categories for now, that you're supposed to lead, provide, and protect. So let's talk about leadership just a minute. And I, there's, let me pause. I have so much content here, it's unbelievable. Like I had to cut the message in half before I came today, and I still have twice as much as I normally preach, and I already speak fast, so I'm just not sure what the rest of this message will sound like. You may have to listen to it later at a third speed to get all the notes, right? So here we are, let's go for it. All right, a godly man embraces his role as uh, a leader in his home, and in the church. That is, God has given a specific uh, command to men uh, to lead in a particular way. All right, let's go back to the garden for a second. Do you remember in the, the garden, uh, God gave the pro- prohibition not to eat of the particular fruit. To whom did he give the prohibition, Adam or Eve? Adam. Adam. And so uh, when Eve sinned, we know that through reading scripture that Adam was right there <laughs> when she sinned. So he was the one who received the prohibition. What he should have done was slap the fruit out of her hand before she ate it. Now, we realize he may not have gotten dinner that evening, but he would have protected all of society and mankind, right? That, that would have been a good thing. So when God shows up, because now they've both sinned, who does he seek out, Adam or Eve? Because that's the one to whom he gave the prohibition. He seeks out Adam. There is a particular creative uh, context in which Adam, as the lead man, was supposed to have lived, and he did not. He did not lead as he should have led, and he allowed his wife to make a bad decision, and that was on him. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says this, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And so what we see here are layers of submission that we're supposed to do. So men are supposed to submit themselves to the Lord, uh, but then also they are the heads of their households, just like Jesus has submitted himself uh, to the Lord as well, the Father God. But we understand as men, you're never supposed to use your strength or your leadership to dominate your wife or your household. We serve lovingly. We don't demand submission. We, We encourage our wives and our families. That's what we're supposed to do. First um, Thessalonians chapter four says this. Uh, oh no, sorry, you're right. I messed up. Sorry, the guys correcting me. First Peter chapter three verse seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the. We're gonna have fun. Uh, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, leave that up for a second. So likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Wives, does your husband understand you? You don't have to answer, no. Um, but, but what we should all be seeking is sit down conversations with our wives. Honey, how are you doing? What are you processing? Where are you at? And I know, here's the problem. If you start asking your wife questions, she's gonna wanna talk. I know, it's a nightmare. Um but no 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 I'm I'm t- I'm totally I'm totally kidding. It's just- <laughs> This is, this is the stereotype part. Um, yeah, so, no, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to sit. We're supposed to listen. Baby, what's going on in your life? Tell me what's going on. And let her talk. Understand her. Because, and we know, too, that she's a weaker vessel. Now, this doesn't mean she's less equal or unequal. She's just wired different. Physically, she's different. Emotionally, she's wired different. And by the way, showing emotion doesn't make you weak. Um, you can be very strong and have a lot of emotion. So we just process with them. Since you're heirs together of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And here's the thing, which this means, then, if you don't do marriage right by the way you love your wife, God will withhold from you. I'm not even making that up. that's what it says. Your prayers will be hindered. So this idea of that I bear a responsibility in the way that I lead my home, that if I don't do this right, I run into trouble with God. So there, this is a very serious thing uh, that we're talking about here as well. First Thessalonians chapter four now, verses three and uh, through eight. "For this is the will of God, your sanctification So in this journey here, it's a journey of sanctification, meaning then that as men, we have to fully submit ourselves to the Lord and he's, he's gotta have his way. We've gotta choose his moral structure for our life and not our natural sinful inclinations. We have to make sure that we seek him out, which means we know his word. We study the scripture. Uh, We understand, too, that self-control is a fruit of the spirit. So if I'm fully yielding myself to the the spirit of God, then self-control manifests itself in my life. And men, if I could just say this, we are wired a peculiar way. We have to battle lust, every one of us. It is a natural part of our wiring. And so there's this thing where if I am drawn to women, uh, that's normal as a part of your wiring. But there's a broken part of that that you have to battle. And so you cannot objectify women. You can't look at stuff that you shouldn't look at on the internet, on your phone. We don't engage in premarital sex. We don't engage in extramarital sex because we don't wanna dishonor God's daughters. It's tough, but we have to make a choice and we hold each other accountable and ultimately God holds us accountable. There's also this thing too, where as you're leading your family, I get the world seems to be going a particular direction. But even if the whole world goes away from the Lord, in our house, we're gonna follow him. And so this goes back to verses I love. They're, they're on my kitchen wall. Joshua 24:15 says this. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I do think there's a biblical aspect of leadership where as a man, you're gonna help your family do what they need to be doing so we lead and we provide provision is something else we do a godly man provides for himself and for those under his care a godly man provides for himself and those under his care I do love this scene so I sit at a wedding recently I do weddings all the time one of the things I love about the wedding is when the the dad escorts the the bride up and uh, I say who gives this woman to be married to this man and the dad will say her mother and I do and then he kind of puts them together and he goes and sits down and what happens in that moment is a beautiful thing because the dad is saying take her take her. you take all her bills you you fix her car you make sure she eats and you do everything and i'm i'm done I'm done. You want to call me for prayer and encouragement? I got you, buddy. But if you need a bill paid, I hope you get a good job. You know, that's like, that's, that's the whole thing. I love this idea. So there is very much the idea that we provide. So uh, Psalm 128 reminds us of this. Psalm 128 says this. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. All right, so much great stuff going on here. Now, one thing I'll say is this, as we're doing these verses. A lot of times when we're talking about what a man is, it's almost always in the context of like a, a marital thing or something with women involved because sometimes the best way to see uh, what God has created one gender to be is in contrast to the other gender. And so a lot of times in scripture, you'll see these put together so that we can see. And remember again, there's not one reflects the image of God, Together we reflect the image of God because God has put himself in both of us. And so there's that idea going on here. And then two, as it starts off in Psalm 128, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. A call then again to say, men, if you're gonna be the man you're supposed to be, first you love the Lord. And then he calls us to work hard with your the labor of your hands. That's the thing about about us being a provider. It is our role, even going back to the creation mandate, that we provide for our families. We work hard to provide for our families. And then when we do that, we have an abundance that we can share with others. And then this blessing works his way through us. Um, let me say too, though. There, what if, what if your wife can get a better job than you can? What if my wife is a doctor, right? And I'm a mechanic, and she can make 10 times what I make. So the idea of your role as the lead provider doesn't mean you have to do all the work. It means then you sit back and you just make sure it gets done. And if you guys are processing and she says, I would love to go to work and I'll, I'll make the money, can you stay at home with the kids? Well, that sounds very logical. <laughs> you know, like, so you, you go to work and you make the money that I can't make right now. And then I'll stay home and I'll take care of the kids, which is a role that we need in our home. And then on the weekends, I'll fix people's cars, make a little bit of money for us, right? Like we'll work this out. So the, the thing about being the one, you just gotta make sure it gets done. You don't have to do it all. Let me say this too. There's gonna be times when unexpectedly we're out of work. And so for guys, let me tell you, and women, you need to understand this. When a guy's out of work, it is devastating. It's, it's, a, it's an emotional, mental thing. It just destroys us because it makes us feel like we're not valuable, like we're not worth something, especially if we got fired. It's a horrible thing. Just be sympathetic to the guys in your life who are going through that. But men, let me just say this. If you get out of work for a season of time, I know it's, it's emotionally devastating. It just is. But just keep keep plugging along. But in the meantime, if you can't get the job you want, get the job you can get. And so if you've got to work at Walmart or Burger King for a little while until you can get the job you really feel like you deserve, do that. But you still have to help provide for your family. So do what you can, even if it's mowing lawns, to to put some bread on the table. But here's the promise. You keep your eyes on the Lord. You work hard. You're going to be blessed. And when you're blessed, your wife is blessed. And when your wife is blessed, your kids are blessed. So Learn to be a blessing, share the abundance. First Timothy chapter five verse 8 says this. "But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so we feel this call of the Lord. And when you hit the hiccups in life, that's okay. God knows they're going to be there. We'll just work through it uh, together. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says, "A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children." but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. I like this idea. The good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Meaning then, uh, I've amassed such a thing that I can leave it not just to my kids, but to my grandkids. Now, you're looking at that and you're thinking, whew, I don't know if I'll make that kind of money. I don't think it's all about money. I think it's about the spiritual heritage that I can pass down. I look forward to being a grandpa. Not there yet. And if my kids are watching this online, get at it. You know what I'm saying? Um, But... My one of my goals will be to make sure that my kids and my grandkids love Jesus. And so that is also an inheritance I pass down. And so I want to make sure that I do that as well. There's another kind of wealth we can pass down. All right, um, so we do that. Now, in in one other version of this, before I leave that, let me say this. Guys, there's also a version that only you can do in your kids' lives. So... Only dads can really raise their boys to be the godly men they're supposed to be. Women contribute, but men have a a particular message that young boys need to hear. By the same token, a daughter. Uh, A dad pours into a daughter something that she needs to learn about godly men that she can't learn really well from her mom. So there's a a female version of that too, but it's different. So anyway, uh, going on to the final one, protection. A godly man will sacrifice his own well-being to protect those under his care. That is something we do. Uh, You already know that you do this because if you're laying in bed at night with your spouse and you hear a noise in the house, she will turn to you and say, why don't you go check that out, right? (laughs) She's not going like, hey, let me go check that out. I'll be right back, babe, right? I think that's not normally how it works. Maybe some, but not normally how it works. Um, This is what we see, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. There's so much good stuff in this. I, I love the idea of you be watchful, you're being vigilant, you're being alert, you're going to stand firm, this idea of you're, you're the offensive lineman, making sure that nothing's coming through that line, uh, or I guess maybe defensive lineman in that case, um, and you're acting like men, you're going to be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. So there's this idea that, that I carry with me a natural, male, appropriate uh, strength and sometimes aggression that God has given to me, but it's all in the context of love. So there's this way that I'm supposed to live out my protective nature and how God has wired me to be. Even when you get to Ephesians chapter 5, this very famous uh, marriage chapter, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25, uh, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So as we think about this idea, and we're just just stopping there, Jesus lays his life down, and marriage is supposed to be a picture of that. You husbands, you lay your, your life down for your wife so that she can be sanctified, so she can be blessed. And so there's a time when, I get this too, when young men get married, and they, they get their wife, and then their wife starts imposing on their schedule. And then you have children, and your children start imposing on your schedule. And you're like, I don't like this. I feel like I'm not me anymore. I feel like I can't, like, okay, okay, time out, time out. This is when we grow up, right? When you were a kid, you could do all that kind of stuff. But now you're a grown up, right? Now you need to be who God has created you to be. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 11 says this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I gave up childish ways. So there's a time when, especially when you get married, you have to stop living just for you. Now you lay down your life for others so their lives can be blessed. So now as we've been talking about all of this, and, and unfortunately we have to kind of pause in this moment. Um, as we've been talking about all of this, this all sounds great, but it's all kind of in the context of married. What, what if you're single? Uh, let me say this. Christianity affirms and encourages singleness. Christianity affirms and encourages singleness. You do not need somebody else in your life to make you who God's intended you to be. You are exactly who he wants you to be even without that other person in your life. You don't need it. Now, you may want it, you may desire it, and you may one day step into it, which is beautiful. But if you don't have it, you're not missing anything. And you might be like, well, yeah, but I don't have these relationships. Yeah, you do have the relationships. They're just in the context of your church family. Because in the church, you can teach and lead children. In church, you can love women uh, as mothers and sisters. In church, you can have spiritual fathers and brothers and sons. And you still are doing all the roles. You're still leading, providing, and protecting. What if, though? What if you struggle with same-sex attraction and you realize that Scripture prohibits it? Well, here's the thing. You can struggle with same-sex attraction and still honor the Lord within the context of the church. Because not everybody in the church has been called to be married and to have kids. Uh, And to be fair, all of us have to submit our desires to the Lord. None of us lives wide open doing whatever we would like to do. So even if you're a young single man who would love to, quite frankly, sleep with a number of women, you refrain from that because you know God's told you not to. And you still are a productive member of the church who loves and serves in the context of all your other brothers and sisters wrestling with their struggles with sin and desires. Okay, well, what if you're a parent and you have a kid who's dealing with some of this stuff? Maybe they're confused about some issues or maybe they've already started making some choices uh, that you wrestle with. Let's understand this. And let me talk, especially right now, to people who would call themselves strong men. And if I were to ask right now, who here's a strong man? There's a number of guys here who'd be like, I'm a strong man, I know, okay, all right, strong man, let me talk to you for a second. You can't mandate love of the Lord. You can't mandate submission to God. You can't mandate values. So if you're like, well, I'm just gonna tell my kid, and I'm gonna, like, no, if you do that, you're gonna lose your relationship. So we don't do that. If we have kids who are struggling, we need to be there for them. We talk to them, ask them questions, find out what they're processing, pray with them. And more than anything, as the scripture encourages, we love them. No matter what journey they're on, we love them, even if we disagree with it. Now, in, the, the thing is, though, we don't concede the line. We don't buy into what culture says. We still go back to the word of God, and we remind them. I hear you talking. I'm processing it. Can I just remind? Let me remind you. God doesn't make mistakes. He made you like you're supposed to be, but he has context in which we have to live. We have to submit ourselves to that. So we don't give in to culture. We hold the line. But we don't also reinforce stereotypes. So, um, if you uh, grow up with a kid who's, you know, maybe wired just different than you as a guy, and you tell him, you know, by golly, you're going to learn to love the NFL. Like, maybe not. (laughs) Maybe he'll never be a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. (laughs) But, you know, that's how God's desired them to be. So we wanna encourage um, our kids to embrace the unique gifts that they are and have been made to be. Every creation in this world, every person in this world is special because God has made them special. And they'll fully understand it though when they step into a relationship with Christ. And finally, let me just say this. If you're a teenager, um, God bless you. You're in a very tough season of life and we all know it, those of us who've made it through. But you're in the middle of what is a trending social phenomena that will also pass. So let me just say this, culture has a message for you. And if you feel like you're wrestling with different wirings or you feel like maybe I am something else, culture is going to want to mess with who God has created you to be. And if you're not careful, you will settle for a shortcut to real identity, that is, you will take what is handed to you as this is who you are, rather than taking the slow and hard process of figuring out who you've been created to be in the context of God's world in His creation. Don't take a shortcut to identity, bear with the journey. But if you're sitting there saying, Yeah, but I don't feel like this, I don't feel like that, like that's okay. God can take you on that journey and help you be the man or woman that you've been created to be, even if you don't look like any other man or woman out there in creation. Uh, Let me finally close with this. Tony Evans made this comment in his book, Kingdom Man, which I I love, uh, Kingdom Man by Tony Evans. He talked about what happens when we have a counterfeit type or a weaker type of man. Says this, the impact of a lower standard leaves its scars no matter what race, income bracket, or community a person is in. The outcomes may be different depending on the location, but they're just as devastating promiscuity, emptiness, depression, chronic irresponsibility, family breakup, misuse of finances, divorce, violence, chemical addiction, overeating, indulgence, bankruptcy, low self-esteem, and general aimlessness plague our society as a direct result of the abuse or neglect of biblical manhood. This is something we see. This is something some of us have experienced. Some of us have contributed to. But at the end of the day, we wanna come back to who our designer has created us to be. Father, thank you so much this morning for a moment, just to process. Um, This is complicated in some ways and in other ways, it's simple. So Father, we would just pray in the complexity of society, may we be a voice of truth, but also of great love and mercy to the people around us who are legitimately struggling with identity. In your name, amen.